the last time I played Winfield, I don't know how I even pulled the thing off because I was shaking. I was sitting down in a chair and my knee was shaking like crazy. Yeah, you get up there and you know that if there's a timing issue or if there is any nervousness, I mean, it's coming out. It's, it's going to happen. So you just got to get up there. And to prepare for that, it is so much different for me than just to get up and play with the band. But to sit down for a competition where judges are listening to notes and timing and taste and touch and all that, for some reason that really makes me nervous. Hey everyone, how are y'all doing today? This is Keith Billick. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. I'm back down in my basement today. I recorded a lot of the previous episode, that microphone shootout from my backyard studio. But even though I've moved back in the basement, um, I have this strange sensation that that nature has followed me in here. I have a couple crickets in, in the basement and they're making noise and I felt like I was reenacting that scene from from Breaking Bad where they're chasing the fly in the laboratory. I'm trying to figure out where these crickets are so I can, you know, get rid of them or whatever. And I was unable to do it. If if you'll just have to trust me that in my basement there aren't too many lines of sight to be catching bugs along the wall or whatever. And there's also a thunderstorm outside, so the sounds of nature persist even though I've moved. Anyway, what did everyone think of the microphone shootout? I've heard from several of you about what your top picks were, and that was really interesting to, to hear what people chose. A lot of different choices, which is to be expected, and that's why, hey, if everyone liked the same sound out of their microphones, then there would only be one, right? That's why there's choices, because everyone has their own preference. But yeah, it's really interesting to hear what everyone likes. But if you haven't listened to that yet and you'd like to, or if you have listened to it and you want to share your thoughts about that with me, please do so. Podcast at gmail.com. Let me know which of those microphone samples were your favorite. And uh, yeah, it'd be fun to, to hear and compare to everyone else's feedback that I've been getting about that. Okay, it's time now to recognize the official Patreon supporters of today's show. Today we have two such patreon supporters the first one is a gentleman named ian dosland i had the good fortune of meeting ian personally at a get-together over at aaron jonah lewis's house uh you remember aaron from a previous episode of course and so ian and i got to pick a bit his his son has the same name as mine and he's actually a a metro detroiter now a fellow metro detroiter although he just moved in from california and is a former student of Janet Beasley's. So all sorts of picky fingers, banjo podcast connections there. Uh, he, he chose a great instrument and named his son, the best name. So some real solid decision-making on Ian's part. And of course the best decision of all was to get on patreoncom slash banjo podcast and become a supporter. So Ian, thanks a lot and hope to run into you again soon. Uh, the other supporter is also somebody who I go way back with one of my longest standing uh, banjo buddies, and he's actually part of the banjo playing attorney club that I've that I've mentioned a few times here. It's Joshua Brand. Josh Brand was, let's see if I can get this, this whole story right in a way that you can understand it. The, 
there was a band called the Flatbellies uh, that came out of Lansing, Michigan some time ago. And Josh Brand was the banjo player for the Flatbellies. And over time, uh, Josh graduated law school and eventually moved down to where he lives right now, which is in the, the Nashville, Tennessee area. Uh, he moved down there and I took his spot in the Flatbellies and that eventually morphed into Lindsay Lou and the Flatbellies, which of course is now just the band called Lindsay Lou and I no longer play with that. But So I followed in his footsteps in at least a few different ways, playing with Lindsay Lou and, and heading to law school after that. And we've kept in touch and just chat about lawyer things and banjo things and family things. And I got to play his wedding a bit ago and that was a good time. So Joshua Brand, thank you for being a Patreon supporter. In case you haven't heard me say it a million times, becoming a Patreon supporter is really easy. So if you find this podcast valuable in any way, please consider going to patreon.com slash banjo podcast and becoming a supporter that way. You can also support the show by sharing links and just spreading the word to your friends and fellow banjo enthusiasts. That's always very much appreciated. You can also follow me on social media. I'm Picky Fingers on Facebook. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm Picky underscore Fingers. And I actually just checked. Whatever you do, don't look at the user on Instagram that's just Picky Fingers. It's like bleeding fingernails. And I have no idea what's what's going on there, but that's not me. I'm picky underscore fingers. You can also follow me on Twitter, banjo at banjo podcast. That's it. It's amazing that I remember half of this stuff. But anyway, follow me on those. Reach out and say hi, and really glad to have you listening. One more quick announcement before we get into the episode. Uh, I'll be teaching again this year at the Great Lakes Music Camp. It was a ton of fun last year, and this year I'm sure it'll be the same. It's up here in Michigan, and it's the weekend of October 3rd through 6th. So if any of you are by any chance in the area and available to do that, I encourage you to sign up for that. There's amazing instructors on all the primary bluegrass instruments, as well as songwriting. And I'm going to forget a bunch of them, but just to give you a taste of who the instructors are, we're talking uh, Missy Raines, Daryl Anger, John Reichman, uh, Joe Walsh on mandolin, Grant Gordy, a whole bunch of superstars that are some of my heroes. So I'm really looking forward to that. And if any of you are available to join me, uh, visit greatlakesmusic.org. And you can look at a schedule and a lineup and find out how to sign up for that. And I, I, I promise I didn't plan it like this, but it just so happens that the two Patreon supporters, Ian and Joshua, those they both have Michigan connections and this happens to be an episode where the featured guest is Mike Sumner, who is another guy with some Michigan connections. And, and you all know, if you've been listening, that I love promoting the, the Michigan scene because we have a lot of talented music up here. And, and I'm proud to spread the word about all of them. But anyway, Mike Sumner, is he lived for a time up in Traverse City, Michigan, which for those of you who don't know, is... Northern Michigan, it's kind of a, a touristy lakefront kind of city. And not too many years after I started playing banjo, I, I was getting to know the people around the state who were also playing. And I started hearing about this guy who lived up in Traverse City who had won the Winfield Banjo Contest. And that just didn't seem right to me. The Winfield winners are supposed to be from North Carolina or Virginia. Definitely not Traverse City, Michigan. But uh, when I eventually did hear him play, 
uh, probably with the band called Detour, which is is kind of a big bluegrass group around the state and nationally as well. Uh, it all makes sense after you hear him play that, uh, oh, of course he won Winfield. He's he's really, really good. So it's always great to catch up with Mike. He doesn't live around here anymore, but uh, I was able to see him at the Midwest Banjo Camp. He's won the Winfield contest a couple times. He's won all sorts of state contests. He's played with all sorts of superstar bluegrass artists, and you'll hear him talk about them. And he, uh, he can really fill out a pair of socks, if you know what I mean. And if you don't know what I mean, there's some photos online. Check it out. But here it is, my interview with Mike Sumner. Shelbyville, Tennessee, been down the Nashville way for about 12 years. I lived in Traverse City, Michigan for about six years, and that's where I met you. Yeah, and yeah, another uh, proud yeah. Michigan roots in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, so I remember being up here. Um, really, the banjo started for me when I was six, because Dad was teaching himself back in the day out of a Scruggs book when he was 32, and uh, put me at, at a ripe young age to listen and, and want to play. So you learned together, more or less? Yes. With, with your father? Yeah. Oh, uh, how cool. Yeah, he he learned from the book. And, you know, you don't really have the teachers at that in 1975 mm-hmm. that you have um, as far. I mean, there's some great ones back in 75, but you couldn't get a hold of them because you didn't have a cell phone. You didn't have the interwebs. And yeah, you didn't just Google it. You couldn't Google anything. <laughs> you couldn't YouTube anything. And so you had about half a dozen books that everybody tended to use. Yeah. The Scruggs book was one of those. Yeah. So that was your main first, first yeah. in- instruction was, yeah. was all the Scruggs stuff. Yeah. And you were listening to a bit of it too? Was it in your ear? I was. Although at that time, you know, being a young kid, I spent most of my time playing tag at Bean Blossom. You know, oh, right, right. just hearing it, falling asleep night after night, it getting in your soul, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. That's really, I think, what did it more than watching Dad try not to pick during football games and just play on commercials, you know. So it sounds like even though he was just starting, he, he was taking it seriously, too, enough to, to drag the family around to, to these events and really expose you to it. We lived in Morgantown, Indiana at that time. That's five miles from Bean Blossom. Oh, well, forget about it then. Yeah. yeah. So every Saturday night, they'd have a jam at this old barn, and I'd fall asleep. Who knows what time it was? I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, you kids, you run around, and it just it's in your soul. You fall asleep on the bleachers, and they take you home, and it happens <laughs> again the next weekend. And That's so great. But I remember the first real dose of bluegrass that I was listening to back in the day was probably... Hmm. Your dad was a real big fan of Larry Sparks, huge fan of Crow. He sure. he loved 40 Years Late, that album. Um, Butch Robbins? Butch Robbins. Yeah. Butch Robbins was his hero. All right. Dad taught himself, like I said, he, he played banjo every day for a couple hours a day for a year and a half. So that's really what got him to a, a stable level. Yeah. He, he just touched it every day. That's and so yeah. you grow up under that, um, you know, you, you either love it or you hate it. And <laughs> yeah. got in my, got I guess in my we know system. which one was for you. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, eventually, years later, after playing in a, a family band and 
a local regional band that moved to Michigan. And there really wasn't much going on in the Traverse City area. Mm-hmm. And ended up at a jam on a Memorial Day weekend at a lake house. Mm, what's a banjo player's name? Northern Michigan. You'd know him if I said his name. Lloyd Douglas? No. No. This guy, um, mm, anyway. Um, he's in Traverse? He's, no, he's, he's just a little south east of Traverse. He's got a house out there huh. on the lake. Can't think of it. If it's Houghton Lake or where it is out there. All right. Pete. Uh, anyway, Scott Zalstra was there. Yeah. And Scott and I were jamming, and we just had a big time. You know, up to that point, I had been trying to find people to play with, and Jeff Rose's name came my way, and I tried to get his attention one time. Blue, uh, Blue Highway was playing in northern Michigan. We went, and I gave Jeff Rose my card. He ended up sitting in the row behind me, mm-hmm. so I'd love to do something. And that was the beginnings of Detour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. And then Missy and everybody else that's come along from then, and I love what they do. Goodness. Yeah, and they're up and running again. Yeah, they great. are. Yeah. I love it. Good stuff. So, but, and that's where I meet you. I come to Midwest Banjo Camp, and uh, man, here I am. Yeah, yeah, cool. So, to back up a little bit, when did it turn into you falling asleep at these jams to you being able to participate in the jams? When did you make that step? Yeah, so in like 79 ish, we moved to southern Indiana. Mm hmm. And by the time I'm around 12, so I've been there a couple, three years, um, I start playing quite a bit. And there's a local guy there named Tony Rothrock. I don't know if you've heard that name. I have not. That guy is quietly behind so many of today's super pickers. How so? Like as a teacher, you mean? Well, here's how. So a teacher and he was the guy that went to festivals and state competitions. Uh, For example, Kentucky State Bluegrass Championships, Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, Alabama. Um, now Indiana is there today because of Tony Rothrock. He started it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So he was this really into guy, this stuff. He really yeah. was. And he doesn't just play banjo. He plays everything. And he has won state competitions on everything. So back in you know the 80s, we're going to these competitions. And there's these kids growing up underneath this guy's tutelage. These kids, people like Michael Cleveland and... Josh Williams and Cody Kilby. Yeah. You know, these names. Just the who's who Andy of Leftwich, these, uh, any, yeah, prodigies. Yeah. Any, of, um, any of these guys that used to compete competed against Tony. Okay. You know, and heard him playing and somehow were influenced by this guy. And so was I. So Tony had a band called the Potoka Valley Boys. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up playing with him. Okay. And that got me through into my early 20s. Okay. Yeah. So how were you learning after the Scruggs book? What were the next steps you took after that? You know, or, or what were the main influences that you had? Um, there's a guy in central Indiana. Um, you know, I did some family band stuff, too, with mom okay. and dad, and that, that was just great. Yeah. But um, there's a guy in central Indiana. His name is Brian Lappin. He is a very tasty picker, and at that time, dad was trying to, you know, here I am, 12 years old or whatever, he's trying to get somebody to kind of shape me and take me to the next level. And Brian is where I went to for a summer. He helped me on the steps to understanding music is about taste and touch. And it's not all notes. And it's, it can be cool if there's space. Yeah. You know, at that point, I mean, maybe this is not something you feel comfortable saying, but like, 
were you were you had you surpassed your dad at that point oh, yeah, in your yeah, skill? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's weird to say that, but uh, yeah, dad had moved to the guitar at this point. Okay, and I mean, uh, kids have a way of uh, they do sponging I everything would, up. So. I would love that one of my offspring uh, someday do the same for me. Yeah, you know? yeah, I would love to take up a quiet bass or guitar and take the banjo please yeah it's not a, yeah. a zero sum everyone mm. everyone is proud of each other for doing yeah. that so that's cool so did um uh remind me of the guy's name did you say his name was pete the the brian lappin no the, the, the contest scout guy. tony rothrock tony tony rothrock and um, he's still out there today influencing people you look him up on youtube or facebook and he's playing a lot of steel guitar right now oh interesting <sighs> Non so non pedal steel, pedal steel, pedal steel. Yeah, oh, that's crazy. Amazing. Yeah, did that influence your decision to start getting into the, the contest playing? It did. Yeah, and that's where it all started. Watching him play and and you know going with him on one of the competitions and trying it when I was really young. How and, how did that? How did you approach contest playing in general? And I guess specifically, how was it different? for you than playing in your family oh, band or goodness. playing in any band. Like yeah. That's a, that's a whole other art yeah, form. Yeah, right? it really is. So contest picking to me is, um, I mean, it's it's all about scrutiny. <laughs> you know, they're sitting there listening with headphones on like we are. And if you if you compare it all the way up to, you know, your Winfield, Kansas stage, where you've got people like Ned Lubarecki who've been judges to that, mm-hmm. sitting back there, they can't see you. They can't except for Mike Bleedover, they can't hear your rhythm instruments. All they can hear is your banjo. You're naked, essentially. You are. Yeah. I mean, if You're there's... Even, are you not even allowed to speak? Do I have that right? Not, so that's correct. So they can't recognize your voice, That's correct. Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, everybody has... And I'm going to use the, the word voice, but everybody has a voice in how they play. Mm-hmm. And certainly it can be very recognizable. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you get up there and you know that if there's a timing issue or if there is any nervousness, I mean, it's coming out. It's, yeah. it's going to happen. So you just got to get up there. And to prepare for that, it is so much different for me than just to get up and play with a band. To play with a band, I do not get nervous. And even like coming to Midwest Banjo Camp and doing a demonstration, there's maybe a little nerves, but not much. But to sit down for a competition where judges are listening to notes and timing and taste and touch and all that – for some reason, that really makes me nervous. The last time I played Winfield, I don't know how I even pulled the thing off because I was shaking. Right. So I was sitting down in a chair, and my knee was shaking like crazy. Yeah, same here, and I don't have the experience with band playing or contest playing that you do, but when I tried my hand at that, I got it. <laughs> I got my rear end handed to me pretty good, and I was it's as nervous as I can remember being yes. It is definitely um, the most, and, and, I, and same. I don't, I don't tend to get nervous for gigs. No, it's so fun because I mean, it's the collaborative thing. It's the the sum of the whole kind of deal. I mean, um, it's all about the band, and, and you know, I can work the mic and get in and out, and the spotlight's not on me. And you know, there's a type of judgment that the audience is making, but it's not, it's not the literal yes. judgment yeah. of, of you are a better player than this guy. Exactly. He's better than you. So. Yeah. So specifically, like, for the pieces that you would prepare, what goes into that? Take us through, like, how mm. you even yeah. begin to approach something like that and making your arrangement. No, that's a good question. It took me years to figure out types of songs that seem to have 
a bit of success in a competition setting. Usually you need some barn burner mm -hmm. that has a level of complexity. And, you know, something like a shuck in the corn back okay. in the day used to work pretty well. Uh, I used to work up a song called, I haven't heard it in a while, El Cumbinchero. Sure. Uh, that can be very complex and very fast. Yeah, sure know? is. And by fast, you know, some people out here may think, you know, faster than what I'm thinking. But anything out, upwards of 165 and up, to me, is pretty fast. That's very fast. Yeah. The version that I always think of of that tune is off of that David Peters album where Scott Vestal plays it. Yeah. And that's fast enough. I don't even think I could play rhythm to yeah. it, um, much less pick the melody. Unreal. But that's great. I mean, if you can get note separation and have a great melody, stray from it, but still have people follow you mm -hmm. and come back to it. And even Scott has a way. <laughs> He's my hero. Yeah. He, his right hand is unlike any, un, any other's right hand I've ever heard because he has a way of leaving not just the melody and coming back. He doesn't ever leave for long, um, 10 seconds or so, mm -hmm. if you think about it. Uh, <laughs> but he comes back to it. And then... Um, and then he'll even can be leave. a lot of notes in ten seconds. He'll even leave time. He'll go off time and come back uh -huh. perfectly. Yeah, yeah, he's a machine. I, I, I love and hate him equally for that. <laughs> but yeah. uh, so picking those songs has always been, you know, an ingredient that you need just as well as performing. So what were the ones that that you ended up going with then? I'd do stuff like El Cumbinch for state competitions. I ne I don't think I ever played. Well, that's not true. I did play Ocumbinchero in the national competition. But for state competitions, it was usually, you know, the judges were looking for a couple songs. And if you tied, you needed a, one or two more. A couple just of extra in, in your pocket, yeah. yeah. So I would, uh, the guy that influenced me a lot back in the day, I stumbled across him at a, at a state competition in Tennessee. And he won it that year. And he also won the national banjo picking championship just before that and his name is Mike Snyder mm -hmm. Mike Snyder now is known for his awesome comedy at the Grand Ole Opry and he's known for his his frailing and, and, and that style of banjo but I'm telling you back in the 80s first of all he's a musician he's not just a banjo player he mm -hmm. plays anything um, from piano to bass to mandolin and fiddle but his his banjo, three-finger style banjo, bluegrass banjo playing was amazing. Hmm. It reminds me a lot of Carl Jackson. Okay. I was going to bring up Carl Jackson because I've heard you talk about him before uh, as being one of your main I have a lot of respect guys. for him. Uh, Carl yeah. Jackson, here's a guy who really is a pioneer. Yeah. You know, him and Bobby Thompson, to me, mm -hmm. are similar. 
and their style, their approach, their ability. Even now, you know, on Monday nights, you can go down to Station Inn and you can watch Carl Jackson sit down with a Larry Cordell and Jerry Sally and whoever else, um, and he'll play banjo and he will rip it. Wow. It, yeah. It's unreal. I mean, he can still kill it. Yeah, that's great. I watched some of the stuff from Carl back in the day. And by that, I mean in the, you know, in the 70s when he's playing with Glenn Campbell and he's his side guy. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So I, as, as I can trace it, Snyder was influenced by people like him. And I heard Mike Snyder's album, Mike Snyder and Friends, back in 83-ish. And it changed my playing completely. Oh, wow. I could not. I've... I went through two or three of his albums, breaking them, going <laughs> over them and over them. Just and, ruining them? I mean, okay. the records, the, yeah, the big yeah. LPs. Yeah, absolutely. shredding them up. Absolutely, oh, and his great. tapes. Goodness, yeah. I'll, I'll have to give that one a good, uh, a good visit. Yeah, please listen to. So that's where you'll see my repertoire of contest songs. It came from that album, oh, most oh, of them. Oh, so cool. like Alabama Jubilee, yeah, Shucking the Corn, his version of Shucking the Corn, his ending, you know. Uh, I mean, I can't do it justice, but yeah. that whole walk down is brilliant, if you ask me. Yeah. That's just, that's just cool. When it's in the early 80s and you hear something like that, good yeah, Lord. That, that's, that's out there. So what would be some examples of other types of licks that you would throw into these? I mean, those are pretty straightforward songs. Yeah. In a way. They are. But of course, the point of being in a contest is that yeah. you dress them up quite a bit. So right. how would you All right. how would so you go about doing that? Let's look at Shuck in the Corn for just a little bit. You know, like... <clears throat> and so, you know, uh, in, instead of doing something like that, I might do that the first time through so that everybody gets the melody. Yeah, yeah. But the next time through, I'm going to vary it with the... Something like yeah. that. So I'm leading them into it. Um, another thing. You know, stuff yeah. like that. Just make it yeah, just a bit greasy. more funky. Yeah. It's greasy. greasy. <laughs> and then yeah. I love the stuff where you're... This is one of my favorite things uh, I'd heard. If my banjo, I'm playing a, I'm playing a banjo that my dad made. And it means a lot to me, but it doesn't always fret the best on the fifth fret here. That kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah, I've, yeah. Not tried anything like that. Of course, the melodic stuff. You can do any of the scale going up and down. And, you know, you can throw in some chromatic. So just whatever, you know. Yeah. Just, and I, what I try to do... Just woodshed on it until you can... I think the key is you don't want to vomit on the strings. You don't want to just vomit notes everywhere. It has to make sense. It has to communicate a story. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm telling... For me, the song is the story. And the story's made up of chapters, and each little chapter is a version of an A, A, B, B, or whatever it is. Uh-huh. So 
Uh, this particular chapter, I might be melodic, and the next chapter is going to be chromatic, but I'm trying to maintain some sort of trueness to the melody. Still has to further the story itself. It can't just be completely unrelated to the story. Yeah, so here's a story for you. <laughs> Shuck in the Corner is written by a guy named Josh Graves. Uh-huh. Josh Graves was a dobro player who played with Bill Monroe and Earl Scruggs. And um, he really was like the first guy out there. Did he play with Monroe? I thought that was like one of Monroe's famous things that he... Uh, well. Wasn't that where that no part of nothing quote comes oh, from? Maybe Is I'm wrong on that. Oh. Well, now, now I'm, I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah, now we'll, we'll <laughs> yeah. have to consult the <laughs> Absolutely. But so... Either way, yeah. He Go was ahead. at Bean Blossom. Josh Graves is at Bean Blossom. And um, his banjo player didn't show up. Okay. And I think um, I had just won my first state competition. And I used his song, Chuck in the Corn, to win it. Somebody heard that I was there, and he's like, get the boy up here. Let's play. Oh, how great. So I got to play that song with him, but that, that's not the good part of the song, or a good part of the story. The good part of the story is I'm playing that with him, and he absolutely hated my version of it. Of course. <laughs> I destroyed oh, it. Oh, no. It was just, to him, it was disgusting. The melody and the trueness of the song was gone. Oh, no. <laughs> so how does, how does that manifest? Is he giving you dirty looks, or you, you kind of heard through the grapevine that uh, no. Josh was not happy with that? Uh, no, there was no grapevine. I was getting dirty looks while I was playing, but at 14, you really don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and then after the song, he told me how bad it was. <laughs> that was oh, awesome. man. That was great. God, God bless him. That's all good, man. <laughs> uh, so what was the next step after that? You, we, I kind of cut you off when you started talking about, about Detour, and of course I'm yeah. a, a fan of that group, and you all were around for a few years. Right. So we did the Detour thing, and then you know I went through a bit of a life hiccup where it went through a divorce, mm -hmm. and she's from Traverse City, so that's why I ended up there. That's why you were there in the first uh -huh. place? Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, you know, this, this life hiccup required me to make a whole lot more money to make child support payments. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in Traverse City, there's a saying, a view of the bay is half the pay. <laughs> yeah, sure. It uh, might be more than half, I think, yeah, actually. exactly. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is brought to you by our official sponsor, Deering Banjos. Since 1975, Deering has firmly established themselves as the banjo specialists, creating some of the best five-string banjos available today. Artists who use Deering banjos include five-string legends such as Jens Kruger, Allison Brown, Ryan Cavanaugh, Terry Baucom, Eddie Agcock, Rhiannon Giddens, Mark Johnson, Tony Trishka, and many others. After being in business for over 40 years, Deering has always focused on two things the quality of their product, and their renowned customer service. Whether you have been playing all your life or just starting out on banjo, Deering offers a huge array of options at every price point, as well as truly personal customer service. Even if you don't play a Deering banjo currently, their website is still stacked with great useful information on banjo maintenance, playing tips, events, news, and more. So check out their site at DeeringBanjos.com or give them a call on their toll-free number at 800 845 7791 to discover the perfect Deering banjo for you and of course tell them that the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast sent you. So I had to move away and, and get a decent job and it took me to Nashville. I went to work for Deloitte as an IT operations manager for them and I immediately went to work for Randy Coors. 
played with him for a few years and travel with him, and that was fun. And probably some of the most fun road travel I've ever had was with Randy Coors. Oh, wow. Okay. Because at that time, you got people like Josh Williams on guitar, Elio Giordano playing bass, which, you know, Bluegrassers probably haven't heard of him, but he's been on the road with so many good people. Okay. Um, I think Clay Jones played with us for just a little bit. Okay. So just a fun yeah, it was just Motley a crew of, of, it was. of guys. But, I mean, there's something about the road and traveling with people and um, what you have to do to elevate your performance mm-hmm. that helps you become a better musician and a better person, I think. Uh, such as what? What are, you, what are you thinking about when you, when you say that? So, you know, Randy and someone like Randy's got a lot of original stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're listening to their original material and the guy that a lot of people in Nashville use as their recording banjo player is Scott Vestal. Mm-hmm. So here I'm listening to Scott and kind of getting in. When you learn musical phrases that someone else created and you play it exactly like them, you think like them. And that can be good and bad because you want to have your own voice. Yeah. Right? So for me, the maturing part comes in two ways. I recorded an album in 2007 called Winds of Winfield. Mm-hmm. That's been out there for a long time, and there's some fun stuff on there. You've got Andy Leftwich playing, let's see, fiddle and mandolin, and you've got Cody Kilby on guitar, and yeah. Ren Davies on bass, and then Randy Coors on Dobro. Thank you. So that coupled with being with Randy and playing with him on the road as my first real road travel gig and going in the studio with him and understanding what he wants out of a finished musical product, what it takes for Scott to do it, Scott Vestal, and how I'm supposed to adapt to that and yet be myself. I mean, that makes you mature as a musician to find your own voice is kind of what I guess I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. You know? Yeah. You're a little more on the spot to, yeah. to make something happen. And you essentially got to discover it, which, like you said, woodshed. You got to get out there. And and, and I've seen you do it, too. I, I've watched Keith, you know, sit here and play his banjo 10 years ago versus now. And, <laughs> I mean, you, you've got a much more interesting voice because you've been woodshedding. I, I appreciate you saying that. It's yeah. easy for me to lose sight of whether that has happened or not. Oh, no. Or in some ways, I feel like I'm maybe I'm not even as good because I'm not practicing quite as much as I used to be yeah. able to, but hopefully the something in the maturity it's will, will uh, over, overtake any deficiencies in that. So, I mean, when you, uh, you know, you make some, and life happens, you know, like I said, I went through the divorce thing. Yeah. All the while you're trying to play on the road and 
not let these outside emotional influences affect you, but they do. Life gets it crazy. Comes, you yeah. know, essentially you are yourself on your in- instrument. Excuse me. So my personality comes out on the instrument, period, mm-hmm. whether I like it or not. If I'm having a great day just before, and it's funny how gigs work. You could be having a great day and get a call and, you know, emotionally you might have a crash 20 minutes before you go on stage. Uh-huh. And you have to just shake it off and get up there. And that kind of stuff on the road just makes you mature. It really does. So, you know, I think what all that did for me, following people in the studio like Scott Vestal and Charlie Cushman and other people that I've played with, that they've used a number of banjo players, and sometimes they'll use me, is, you know, I want to be true to the person I'm playing with as well as being true to how I play. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's just such a fine balance for me. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be Vestal or Billick. I don't, I, I don't have time for that. Right. And you, and you couldn't be, even if you really wanted to, right? <laughs> right, exactly. For, for better or exactly, worse. Exactly, yeah. So. so, I mean, I just, and now where I'm at today, it's kind of what you said, maturity. I just want to, if someone uses me in their traveling band or if I, like right now I'm playing with Billy Droz and I'm playing with Jim Lauderdale and, you know, Jim has a certain sound and Billy has a certain sound and I just want to be true to that voice in and that, my way. And that's part of what you view as being a professional is being able to, to do that and that's the service that you offer when they hire Absolutely. you is that you yeah. bring what you, what you are. Absolutely. So you've played in all these different but still very high level. What, what is this? This is the bands that I've played in. Wow. It's, it's a, like a festival bill of bands on my... It's, oh, man. It's a tattoo. That'd be a great festival. You should put, you should put that on one <laughs> of these would. days. But yeah, I mean... Sumner Fest. Uh, and <laughs> so this, this is not good um, podcast content, but I'll, so I'll describe Mike on his uh, inner bicep has a tattoo... And the tattoo is a list of all, all the bands he's been in. So do you have problems remembering them sometimes? Sometimes I do. I it? have to look at it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's right. What, I did play with them. What happens when you run out of room? It just keeps wrapping <laughs> I guess around. I I'm going to wrap it around. Or you know, that's got, when you retire? I got to thinking the other day. Uh, there's, I've pinched hit a couple times. Uh-huh. One time I flew to California to play with Dale and Bradley. Uh-huh. And Eric Gibson couldn't play with the Gibson brothers. And so they had me play their sets with him. Oh. And so there needs Does to be like count? an honorary mention roll call. Well, your other arm yeah, is not go. taken yet. All yeah, right. <laughs> plenty, of, plenty of empty canvas over there. <laughs> um, no, what I was going to say, so you, you've played in like heavy vocal bands, mm-hmm. like, like uh, Detour, mm-hmm. Dale Ann, whatnot. You've played in heavy instrumental bands. I imagine Randy was Randy. probably a little more mm-hmm. instrumental yeah. oriented. How do you approach the balance between like your backup and... I just imagine there's a lot of adjustments, especially for like instrument specific, backing up a dobro. Mm-hmm. Do you have any kind of formula or, or guidance that maybe other people could could put to use about how to do that? I have an answer, and it's the consultant answer, and that is it depends. Yeah, let's, of course. Let's create the situation, and we'll, and we'll speak to it. Randy Coors. Uh-huh. Back when he was touring, we started off as pretty much progressive bluegrass. Mm-hmm. And then before we know it, we added drums. And that changes everything. You know, I sure. know that um, you know, there are those that want traditional true grass and true bluegrass, and they don't want drums. But what drums does is if you've got a good drum player, you know, it really solidifies the beat. 
number one, and we're all playing to that. And number two, um, it makes everything louder. Yeah. And I'm telling you, uh, one of the things I learned, um, you know, you play with Randy Coors, and it, and he's got his rig, mm-hmm. right? So he's got his pedals and his his volume stomp, and he's got everything he needs. You have to gear up as well. So it, you ended up you end up learning how to play electronically in an environment like that so that your banjo doesn't get lost mm-hmm. and doesn't get in the way. Yeah. You know, one of the complaints, you know, you hear a lot of times in bluegrass is banjo's so loud. Well, I, I try to make sure that that's not the case. You know, I want to make yeah. sure that um adding to and not taking away. It's about augmenting for me or it's about making sure that the sum is greater than the individual, sum of the whole. So... I guess my thought was the whole time there was a couple of challenges that I had in a, in a heavy instrumental group that's more of a jam type band mm-hmm. and it's really loud. And that was I wanted to be able to hear well. Um, if I can't hear well, my forearm gets stiff because I'm pinching so hard. You know, all I can hear maybe is the drums and, and I can hear the bass driving it and I can hear the electric guitar or the guitar through the amp and then I can hear Randy's dobro. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't. I couldn't hear myself pick, so yeah. louder and louder. It does a couple things for you. I mean, it, you can really mess with your timing. But it also forces you to have a strong hand if you need it. Sure. You know, so that was okay. Yeah, probably um, whip you into shape pretty pretty quickly. Finding that balance was a challenge mm-hmm. for me. Uh, the balance of, all right, let's make sure I'm adding to the sound of the group. But also, you know, in this case, I actually struggled to be loud enough because back at that time I was playing a stealth and okay. those are pretty, you know, low-end banjos, and they're not known for their their high-end ring, per se. And by low-end, you don't mean, like, inexpensive exactly. or cheap quality. You yes. mean um, a low-frequency output. Yeah, yeah okay. right. But I ended up, you know, adding to my, my repertoire of banjos, and I would end up using a banjo that was a little brighter in that situation. Okay, just to have it cut through a bit yeah. better to, yeah. to hear it. Now, when you switch over to a vocal heavy group, you know, I played the stealth a lot with Detour and like with Dale Ann Bradley and Billy Droz and Jim Lauderdale, all very good vocalists, you know. Uh, for me, man, it's it's an honor. I One of my passion, I guess one of my passions in a group setting is to play with someone who's a really good singer or they have strong vocals. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite things to do. Because I feel like you can just come and go, almost like, you know, like you see a piano kind of come in and out. I mean, you can just add phrasing. It's less yeah. about play this banjo roll. It's more about getting a sweet tone out of your banjo and, and saying this phrasing that way. Mm-hmm. And this time I'm going to try it up the neck a little bit because maybe they have a softer voice or whatever. Especially if you can twin with another instrument and, and get creative. It sounds like the key is to just listen to what's happening and... Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yes. that seems pretty fundamental. It does. But it gets ignored a lot, too. It's not about me. You know what that? Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's about the band as a whole. And um, one thing I learned with Randy, even though it was instrumental, it was, it was a really good instrumental band. You know, Randy's got a killer strong voice. And being in the studio with him, I would watch him record Dobro in sessions. And he specifically listens to the words of the song. And yes. he phrases off those words. Yeah. And learning how to do that is a really cool tool to have. So, And playing in a way that 
that yeah. you think reflects right what the lyrics are. Yeah, and it's even even a step deeper than I would agree. Whatever, just not getting in the way of the vocals. Yeah, and in a situation like that, I'd find on a, a recording situation, Randy would find ways with the fiddle player or even with the banjo player to twin certain notes occasionally, not much, two or three throughout a song, mm-hmm. you know, situations where you'd have a couple phrases where they were twinned or, you know, harmonized. And it's yeah. just something about finding those, enhancing those, man, it brings the song together. Yeah, starts to sound like a real mm-hmm. pro arrangement it rather does. than just some pickup group yeah. running through a tune. Yeah. Exactly. So something I've always admired about you, well, I guess I'll start by saying that uh, maybe you would disagree with, but according to a lot of your former bandmates, they never heard you make any mistakes, even, <laughs> oh, in, even in practice. Oh, goodness. And you have a very, just a high degree of consistency with your tone and just not having flubby fingers. I don't know if that's because of your background with the contest, but... That, that's something that rings true to me. So maybe talk about how you get that kind of precision and what, what you've done to bring that out in your own playing. Um, let's, let's speak a little bit about, um, you know, getting there, obviously, the practice with competitions. Mm-hmm. It really helps because when I would practice for a competition, you know, I would have the song in my head, old style headphones on or I'd turn the stereo up back in the day and shut the door. The key was to playing to a solid beat, but, mm-hmm. which really was my metronome. Yeah. I, I learned to play as in time as I could. Now, admittedly, you know, I sometimes will push or sometimes will slow down nowadays, but I find the more I do that, the better I am when it, when it comes to consistency. Now, when I did practice back for competitions, um, you know, I would imagine every time I was sitting down and, and run through a song, after you get your arrangements done, essentially, let's just call it 95% done, and you're running through a song, you know, I would run through the six or eight songs that I had many, many times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I did it, every time I'm imagining I'm on the performing stage in front of the judges okay. every time. So I just try to put my mind frame there so that um, it's good and, and bad. You know, when you're in a band situation, it's so different because it's not about perfection. It's about, you know, the voice of the band encouraging, helping, uplifting, changing people. Yeah. But uh, the reality of music is it's, it's, it's a language. And this language that we use to communicate, if it's chaotic, if it's confusing, the message we're trying to convey probably isn't going right. Gets lost right. a bit. It's gone. Yeah. So my job as the banjo player, I learned, was to provide a really good rhythm, not lead. A really good rhythm with my, with my note separation. Yeah. And so I really tried to work on that. Um, put down a solid right hand uh, I couldn't I can't emphasize enough and you know we talk about tone I'm using Ernie Ball picks um, one of the few that I I'm aware of that do and I'm using a like a speed thumb pick you know yeah if, if you didn't get such a good sound I'd be tempted to make fun of you about exactly. using those weird right. Ernie Ball picks but I know uh, so, proof is in the pudding I guess you know, you know back in the day Corey Walker used to use it 
And uh, he switched to a different uh, a brand. I think he's Dunlop National something. And I bought a bunch of his that he used to use just because they're hard to find nowadays. But for me, it really is about physiology, about how I'm made. Uh, my hands aren't the biggest hands on the planet. My fingers aren't really that long. And so when I come across the banjo, it's not in a J.D. Crow style. Mm -hmm. It's more of an angled kind of a 45 degree coming across the bridge from the arm piece. And um, I notice when nowadays, you know, kind of back to your question, if I don't run the strings enough, oh, you'll know now. What do you mean run the strings enough? Practice? Uh, practice, yeah. Okay. If I'm not spending time with my banjo, you know it nowadays because, you know, I'm getting to an age, I'll be 50 in August. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So at that point, I'm starting to see a little change in the, the fluidity of my hands. Uh, um, just the dexterity drops a little, off a little quicker than a, it maybe used to? Yeah. I mean, before I could not have to practice much and really only I would know it. Yeah. That is not the case now. You, you think other people are? I'm confident other people All would right. know. Absolutely. Right. So um, it's even what I'm, I guess my point is even more underscored now. And that is, if I'm going to play in a group setting with somebody, ideally, I'd love to have some song charts because, and, and, you know, I'm filling in or I'm doing whatever. Um, if I don't have it, I'll listen and I'll write my own charts and I'll go over that as before we even practice, I'll have run it at least and, you know, a couple dozen times. Yeah. Because I want to get some ideas about my approach. I'm usually hearing that person or the, the harmonies going when I'm practicing, so I, I can at least enhance that or try to. Yeah. I guess people like Ron Block, I was, I was in Winfield, Kansas, playing with Randy one time for the competition, uh, for, the, for the festival that puts on the national competition. We weren't competing. We were playing. And I was talking to Ron about how he practiced. And he would, of course, he plays with a metronome. His right hand is unreal. And I admire it. Yeah. His technique is flawless. But his practice time is unreal. I mean, he spends some time practicing with a metronome at various speeds. Yeah. And that helped me develop my own. And what works for me is to practice at various speeds, really slow. Average the American tempo, 120, take it to 140. The American tempo. <laughs> you know? I haven't heard that, but that's so, that's so true. <laughs> I take it to 140, bust it to 160, and at least one round at 180. Okay. Because and, and a round of what are you practicing? Uh, say just for roles or, the, or a I'm, song? I'm practicing a song. Yeah, okay. And, um, you know, I'll do that several different times. And what I find is if I can play it really slow, like I've heard Jens Kruger say, you can play it really fast. Uh-huh. And uh, my goal is to be able to play it and stay at that tempo and still maintain a creativity even at high speeds. Uh -huh. And there's only one way to do that, and that's practice. <laughs> yeah. Well, you seem like a really diligent student and diligent band member. I think that's probably what a lot of band leaders I would hope. think their sidemen are doing, and very few probably, probably are. So. Yeah, I hope I hope I am. <laughs> so you started talking about your picks. Let's talk yeah. about the rest of what. And you you mentioned before that you, you're playing a, a banjo that your father made, and it does say Sumner on the headstock. Yeah, so, so. Daddy, uh, you know, he wrote he um, created this banjo out of a bunch of parts and pieces. This is kind of a beater banjo, but it's got a good solid interior. So it's got a McPeak forty 
hull tone ring. Mm-hmm. It has a sunken wood rim. Okay. And then what, what kind of rim? It appears to me is that one of those to like Tony Pass ones? I don't think so. Okay. I think it looks like maple to me. I don't know yeah. what type of wood. I just know it was one of those sunken wood. Yeah. From off like Superior. Sure. It is a walnut banjo. Oh, yeah. It's a three-piece neck, but it has been uh, repaired by my dad because for some reason back in the day when he had it, um, it was moving on him, and he put a piece in there to fix it. And this thing is solid as a rock. And now it's just... It's solid. And it's not too much. It's not too heavy. You know, it's not killing the sound. So, um, you know, it's got some good guts. The hardware itself, the tailpiece, there's nothing special about it. It's just ordered out of a catalog, probably Stu Mac, I'd be my guess. Yeah, yeah. presto. Using a Snuffy Smith bridge, mm-hmm. and I'm going to say it's probably 11 sixteenths. The banjo neck is radiused, and it is a graduated radius. Yeah. As is the Snuffy Smith bridge, it's, it's a radiused bridge. I'm using a Remo head, and it's a frosted head. Um, yeah, just your standard, uh, yeah, standard setup. There. Standard. Now, if you were here looking at it, it's it needs a really good cleaning. But I'm kind of superstitious about stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, you don't want to clean any of the tone <laughs> off of it. No, <laughs> you got to keep that. I'm a little I'm a little surprised by this because it, it sounds really good, but it sounds different from what I've heard from you before like with your stealth banjo for example yeah. it's a very different yeah. sound it is is this the main one that you're using or it's just whatever you feel like picking up at the this at the is, moment this is the main one that i use and have been using for the last five years or so okay yeah it seems like it is probably more of a bluegrass kind yeah. of uh it is it does have some i mean the four uh, i the stealth has that low end frequency that's just amazing and the and it doesn't resonate for too long. This one definitely resonates longer. But um, I get good note separation with it. Yeah. And I seem to be able to play on the left hand. Like, let's talk about strings for a little bit. I I kind of change. I don't stick to just mediums. Or like right now on it, it's medium strings. Mm-hmm. So like 11s on 11s, the ends. Yeah. yeah, with 13 in the middle and a 20 on four, or maybe 22. Yeah. Okay. But um, like for tomorrow night's performance, one of the songs I was thinking about doing requires some bending. Okay. And so I'll probably do like a light medium, maybe a nine and a half or 10. Okay. And so I just, I change the strings based on either the band I'm with, or for example, Dale Ann, you know, does some songs where I'll tune the banjo down to an E. Oh wow! So you got to beef them up. Yeah, uh, for that. uh, that's definitely medium strings. Yeah, you know, and I'll even tweak the neck sometimes just because you know the tension's different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want any rattling going on. Uh huh. And you'll do that on your regular banjo. You'll just have to yeah. tune it down. Absolutely. And you notice that on this banjo, you know, on the peg head here, there's no truss rod cover. Yeah, mine either. Yeah, the same way. <laughs> it's just so that I quick easy access on the road uh-huh. if I need to tweak it. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times. I've traveled from point A to point B to do a gig, get to point B, you get out, and the neck's moved. 
Okay, yeah, right. Because the humidity is yeah, something. 70% different than Absolutely. What, when you left. Yeah, yeah, crazy. So, yeah, so you just have to walk around with a, a, a case full of strings mm-hmm. for all of your situations, I guess. If you looked in this carry case that I brought today, uh-huh. you'd see probably four different types of strings. And, okay. and, and I'm not dedicated necessarily to any one brand. I'm not really... Sponsored by anybody, I use it all. Diodario, GHS, whatever. Just whatever you think is going to best suit yeah. your purpose. Yeah. You started to say how you had to, to gear up to play with Randy. What mm-hmm. what kind of other toys do you have in, in like a typical rig when you do those kind of things? What what helps you out? Um, you know, I haven't or used a rig or anything like I that. I haven't used a rig in a while, but I do have a um, a rig that's got a tuning pedal, clearly. After that, I've got a stomp pedal. It's got an EQ on it. Mm-hmm. And then I just bought, I, I started playing with something, and, I, and I, I haven't got it all together just yet, but I just bought a loop pedal. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. And I, I, I thought about, you know, messing around with it for the performance tomorrow night, but I probably will not. It's not quite not there yet. ready. Yeah. Not there yet. But I think you could do some really interesting stuff. Oh, of course. On the banjo. Have you and, talked to Danny Barnes about that? I have not. Okay. He's here I, this weekend. I definitely will. Yeah, he's definitely he's, – he's done that. So wow. I don't know. If you're looking to pick anyone's brain, Absolutely. I, I recommend him. He's brilliant. Yeah, he, he sure is. You didn't use any kind of pickup in particular when you were doing that so, stuff, or is there one you particularly like? So as far as pickup, getting the sound out of the banjo, I've tried a couple different types. I have tried uh, – let's try to remember the maker of it um, – Help me out here. Um, microphone maker. A lot of times, inside the banjo, they've got a pretty decent pickup. I don't remember the name of the company. Okay. Anyway, I tried the inside the banjo uh, mic pickups, and they seem to work okay. Although I never quite get enough. Uh, something about it doesn't feel as natural to me. Yeah. And I think, if I remember correctly, the best luck I had was from a drum mic that I heard Baylor reference one time, a Sure Beta 88 or whatever that was. Probably the 98. 98. I think that, yeah. was, a, that was a real popular Mounts one. Mounts on the side and comes around the yeah. top. Yeah, because it's like a, yeah, a yeah, drum Yeah, I like that mic. best. Now, I learned that uh, playing in, in loud environments like with Randy and them, you know, I would have to put some sort of a uh, dampening device yeah, inside yeah. the head. Yeah, or it'll blow up. Yes. All right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> can't, can't have that. Yeah, but I, I ended up liking that probably best, and I still have that and use it every once in a while, not very often. Yeah. What recording would you write? If, if someone's just looking to check out your music, is there anything in particular that you're maybe the most proud of in terms of a, of a recorded album for people to check out? Mm. You know, I've just played in parts and pieces in, a, in, in various forms for different artists. I really, uh, I couldn't say, mm, uh, that's a hard one. I mean, I, I hope they like it all. But Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll personally say that, yeah, your Winds of Winfield, your solo disc that you put together has tons of great banjo on it. I really like the... If you like bluegrass. Like you have a John Hardy on there that's yeah. pretty, pretty smoking. And, yeah. And some jazzier things, too. So. I really enjoyed playing with Detour back in the day when we laid our first Radio Hill album out. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, and they've gone on to make some more amazing music yeah they have so. such a professional sound yeah and scott zostra's ear and jeff right there with them my goodness yeah and honestly if you ask me songwriting too oh jeff is such a good songwriter he and missy and their harmonies but uh scott's guitar playing is so special 
and always has been. It's very unique, isn't it? I He's love got, his picking. Yeah, you're talking about people who have their own mm. character. He, he, he doesn't just do the Tony Rice thing no, or anything like that. No, he doesn't. Man, it's so tasty. And yeah. he gets all over himself. Like, dude, I, I wouldn't want anybody else on an album. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. He can hold his own. Yeah, I look forward to seeing them if I, if mm-hmm. I get a chance. All right, man. Well, any, any other uh, parting words or nuggets of wisdom or oh, advice to, to people? You know, if, if, if it's in reference to a group, it's never about you, you know? Mm-hmm. If it's in reference to getting ready for a contest, it really is about the song you choose. Yeah. And uh, make sure you keep visiting the melody no matter how many we called them chapters. No matter how many verses you go through where you stray from it, come back to the melody. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Great stuff. Is there? A, do you have a website? Your own website? I don't. No, okay. I don't. All right. Yeah. Well. Find me on Facebook. Add me up. Look for the socks. That's, that's <laughs> what I can say. You can't miss the, the socks and shoe combination. He's got some, some very unique. I think he posted them already on yes. his, his social. So dig through the archives and, and find, find Mike's banjo shoe sock combo and, uh, Just follow that and enjoy the good banjo playing. Awesome. All right. Thanks again. Thanks. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. You heard two sound clips in this episode and in order. The first one was El Cumbanchero, performed by David Peters. And the second sound clip was Mike Sumner's recording. It's the title track off of his album titled Winds of Winfield. Thank you one more time to the Patreon supporters of the show, Ian Dosland and Joshua Brand. Uh, go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to learn how you can become a supporter of the show. You can contact me by emailing pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. But that's all I have for now, so thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.